For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I'm super excited about today's show. I'm going to be joined by Dan Gingis, and we're going to talk about social customer service. And you might be thinking to yourself, social customer service? What's that got to do with marketing? Well, I think you're going to find a lot of great insight, whether you work for a big corporation or a little corporation, or even you're a one-man show. Chances are pretty good that there is a very important side to social that you may not be thinking about, and I think you're going to find a lot of value in today's show. Also, if you want to reach out to me, podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com, come straight to my inbox. And let's go ahead and transition over to today's awesome discovery. Helping you stay alive in a social jungle, here's this week's survival tip. I'm joined this week by Eric Fisher, and if you listened to the last episode, we talked about how our Facebook page went missing. And in that episode, we mentioned something called business.facebook.com, and Eric is here to talk a little bit more about it. Eric, first of all, is there an official name for this thing? It's called Business Manager or Facebook Business Manager. And tell us a little bit about what you've been able to figure out about it. And and just full disclosure, we've only been using this thing for a couple of days, but we want you all to know kind of what it is. Well, what I can see that it is, and, you know, hybrid mixed with what Facebook calls it, is a, a more secure tool to manage your access to pages and advertising accounts and it really gives you the ability to give a lot of different permissions to a lot of different people on a bunch of different pages, but you can do it all in one place. Yeah, and when we set it up, um, what was kind of interesting about it is when you typically manage a Facebook page, right, with the old style, you would go, I forget how you get there, but you would click on a couple settings and then it would show you all the different people that have access to your page. And I think you could make them an administrator, an editor, someone who handles advertising. And I'm pretty sure the business manager has the exact same levels of granular controls. But I think what I've been able to discover is that you can also very easily assign someone um, access and revoke their access. It seems like that's part of what it does, but it also seems like it does a little bit more. Have you had a chance to fiddle around with it at all to see exactly what it does? Yeah. Instead of having to go to the Facebook page that you want to change, you know, page roles for, uh, where you would to do that, you would go to settings and then page roles, and then it'll give you that list of all the people that have access. Uh, it's different because you can go, um, you can go into Business Manager, and 
you can more granularly and quickly, like for example, what I just told you to do is literally what you would do with one page. But what if you've got two pages or multiple on multiple pages and, you know, 10, 20, 30 people or more across all those different pages, it makes it a lot more simple. It's all in one place. And I'm logged in right now to business.facebook.com. And by the way, that's where you sign up. It's very easy. They're going to ask you some questions about how big is your organization. But when you go in there, the first thing I see is how much I've spent on my advertising and the total impressions. Then I see my ad account and I see my my page account. And, and on the left, I have ads manager, power editor, and then business settings. And then under business settings, uh, there's a bunch of different options like people, pages, ad accounts, apps, pixels. So this is where you'll find the your, your remarketing pixels. Product catalogs, which is kind of interesting. I don't even know what that is. Your Instagram account. What's kind of cool is you can quickly assign your Instagram account. Your payment methods, your projects. This is kind of cool. So you can create a special project here and then you can assign different people and different organizations to the projects. Partners. Uh, partners, from what I can tell, is it allows you to have people or or groups have certain kinds of access. Shared logins, which looks like it's no longer there. Uh, there's a whole bunch of cool little things. I haven't totally fiddled with this, um, but it seems like it's kind of just a simple little interface for managing your pages. And I don't think they have a mobile app. Are you aware of a mobile app on this thing? No, I, although I know that you can go to the site. It, it, it pretty much functions on a mobile, you know, on Safari. So I, I tried it that way. One of the key things from my experience having worked with Facebook pages prior to Social Media Examiner and then prior to Business Manager, is that it used to be that you had to be friends with somebody on Facebook, personal profile to personal profile friends, before you could add them to be a part of your page under any role. Mm. This eliminates having to do that. That's cool. The other thing is when you visit your page, uh, before you have business manager, you'll just automatically start to see all the visibility metrics on your posts. But now you have to actually go and you have to click manage page with business manager. So when you typically log into Facebook, you're in your personal profile. You have to kind of switch to your uh, business page profile. And when you do that, the top navigation bar changes colors into a darker gray. And then as you start scrolling down, uh, on your Facebook page, you start to see the reach metrics, which which were which are hidden once you switch over to the business manager. So you know I, the main reason we're using it is because, as we mentioned in the prior episode, had we been using business manager, it would have been a lot easier for us to assign somebody who has a big Facebook ad account to our. Um, business manager account and then allow them to escalate the fact that our page was missing. And um, without that, it all had to be done kind of old fashioned ways over emails and such. Anything more that you discovered on the business manager side of things? Um, I think I'm trying to think of if there's anything else I'm missing. Oh, the one other cool kind of piece here is that you can have business manager admins who are administrators over that but they don't necessarily have to have access to any of the pages. So in other words, it adds that one extra higher level of oversight and administration than just the page level. Very cool. Well, there you have it. Check it out, business.facebook.com.
com. Eric, thanks for telling us all about it today. Thanks for having me. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. And with that, let's transition over to today's interview with Dan Gingas. Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide. I'm really excited to be joined today by Dan Gingas. If you don't know who Dan is, he's the former head of digital customer experience for Discover Card. He's also the co-host of the Focus on Customer Service podcast, and he's the brand new head of digital marketing for Humana. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you having me on. So today, Dan and I are going to explore how to better service your customers using social media. And it's something we haven't really focused in too much on this show, but I think you're going to get a lot out of it because it's a very important part of social. So Dan, let's start with your story. How did you how did you get into social and then how did you end up getting into the customer care side of social? Well, most of my career, I've been a marketing or product development person, but I've always been in some way in a service business. I mean, even in high school, I delivered pizzas uh, for Domino's and learned how to interact with customers. And I remember my first job out of school, I was a marketer at a direct response company that sold high-end collectibles, plates, dolls, figurines, that sort of thing. And one year around Christmas, uh, I got a phone call that really should have gone to customer service, and somehow this woman bypassed our customer service and got to me in the marketing department. And she was all upset because um, her item that she had ordered was not there yet, and we were going to ruin Christmas because it was a gift for her grandson. Mm-hmm. And you know, at that moment, you know, I didn't even have to think; it was just like my gut took over. And I told her Christmas is not going to be ruined on my account. And I hung up the phone. I went to our warehouse. I got the item that she wanted. I personally packed it up, walked it over to FedEx and ensured that it was delivered on the 24th. And, you know, I made a really, really happy customer. And that felt good. And so everything that I've done in my career since then has really been around making sure that the customer is at the center of everything that I do. Um, And I think marketers sometimes forget that because the goal is to sell or the goal is to cross-sell or to um, retain or whatever it is. And that taking just that extra moment to think about something from the customer's point of view usually will make you a much better marketer because you'll do a better job of finding something that's relevant to your audience. So... I got to Discover, and I had a number of roles at Discover over uh, almost 10 years, Uh, again, mostly in the marketing area, until about three years ago when I joined the digital team. And I was responsible for the design and development of our website and our mobile app. Um, Just to give you an idea, that's over 45 million logins a month. So this is really the the way that people interact with their credit card. Um, And so everything that we did had a massive effect on customer experience. And um, I was very proud of the fact that um, right before I left, Discover after uh, eight years won the JD Power Award for um, customer for best customer experience, taking it away from Amex. And uh, as kind of the smallest of the of the credit card issuers, that was a really really big deal. 
So the other part of my job was social media as well. And when I started it three years ago, I was actually pretty new to social media. And a colleague of mine and mentor uh, told me that the best way to learn social media is just to dive in and do it. And he was totally right. So I signed up for Twitter and I, you know, started following people and I started tweeting. And like most people, I got addicted to it and absolutely loved it. Um, And what I found from Discover's perspective, and this was just my opinion, was that service was something that we could really stand out with because it was something that the company stood for anyway. Um, it was always known as a, co- as a company where you got really great customer service. I kind of compared that with this idea of, hey, when I log on to my Facebook account or I log on to Twitter, do I really want to hear from a credit card company? And you know, you can substitute any brand for that. It doesn't have to be credit card. And so personally, I kind of felt, I think I can have a better impact with service or what some people are now calling one-to-one marketing rather than using social media as just another mass channel. And that's really where our focus was. And we had terrific success um, with our customers in social uh, and even with prospects who, um, you know, on countless occasions, you know, might start off negative or suspicious of a brand uh, and they can be turned around easily just by the way that you interact with them. This show is obviously called Social Media Marketing, and a lot of marketers are listening to this show, and you used to be a wholesale marketer, if you will, you know, deep deep all the way through. And for a lot of social media marketers, they're thinking about things like um, driving traffic, getting leads, you know, conversions, and all that kind of stuff. How ought they think about customer service when it comes to their social media marketing? Well, I'm sure you've read the same statistics that I have. I think the main study is from Gartner that says that as soon as next year, you know, 85 plus percent of companies are going to have to compete on customer experience. And the reason is, is that a lot of industries, you know, you can't compete on cost or, or price anymore. It's just getting too expensive to do that. And it's a no win game. And so the companies that are figuring out how to differentiate themselves based on experience are the ones that are winning. And customer service is just a piece of the experience. And so is marketing for that matter. But I think that what we've, what I've definitely seen, um, both at Discover and from talking to lots of brands on our podcast, is that when you interact with customers on a one-to-one basis in social media, that makes them more loyal. More loyal customers are going to spend more with you. They're going to stay with you longer. They're going to tell their friends about you, all of which result in KPIs that marketers care about, right? So, um, I think that customer experience, if you look at, um, for example, the um, Forrester Customer Experience Index is a pretty good indicator of how well companies, larger companies, are doing. It's a it's a very objective measure um, that they do every year. And what they found is that uh, over the course of many years, a um, they looked at the stock prices of public companies and they looked at both the top performing companies in their Customer Experience Index and the bottom performing companies. And the top performing companies absolutely killed the S&P 500 over a six, seven, eight year consecutive period. And the companies that ended up low on their list as poor performers in customer experience were way behind the S&P 500. Now, I know some of your listeners are 
working for non-public companies or even very small companies. But if you think about why a company's stock price would move, it's because they're making money or not making money. And so there is a direct link between customer experience and profitability. And again, if we kind of circle back to marketers, if you're interested in, in acquisition or driving additional sales or retention, these are all things that are going to the revenue side of the equation that leads to profit. So by focusing on customer service and by ensuring that your service is excellent when customers have a problem, you are going to end up helping your uh, KPIs on the marketing side as well. One other thing I would add, at Discover, we started looking at a new metric that I thought was really, really cool. And what it was, was engagement rate on customer service responses. So we looked at once we responded to a customer and resolved their issue, what happened next? Mm. And what happened was absolutely amazing. In both Facebook and Twitter, we were seeing over 100% engagement, which means that after the customer was satisfied and the issue was resolved, when you start to count the social media vanity metrics, likes, um, you know, retweets, comments, etc., over 100% engagement rate, meaning that that on average, more than one comment or like or retweet happened per, per customer service engagement. Now, when you think about that compared to some of your best marketing, which if you're lucky, you're getting single digits, high single digit engagement rate, um, that's absolutely amazing. And so then the challenge is, how do you scale that? Because one-to-one marketing is hard, it's slow, it doesn't hit as many people as, as mass marketing does. But I think that companies that figure out how to scale that are going to do so much better on the exact same metrics that marketers are looking at in social media. I want to get to the scaling thing, but before I do, in your Focus on Customer Service podcast, you interview uh, lots of different businesses. And I'd love you, you to share one or two examples, maybe a big and small business, that are doing this customer service thing right and maybe just like, what has been the outcome? You don't need to go into extraordinary details, but maybe just share one or two stories. Sure. I mean, we interview all sorts of brands, big and small, and a lot of brands that you've heard of, Whole Foods and JetBlue and Chipotle and um, Hertz, et cetera. I actually want to give you two brands that maybe you haven't heard of because uh, I thought they were fascinating. The first was Telstra. Telstra is the largest uh, telecom in Australia. And unlike most of the telecoms in the United States, they've decided to differentiate based on service. And I mean, think about that for a minute and think about how often in the U.S. we're complaining about our telecom or cable companies or mobile phone companies. Right. And these guys have focused on service. And so what they have managed to do that I have not heard from any other company is they've managed to connect all of their systems into a single CRM, including social, so that any customer contacting them in any channel can actually have the same agent help them as long as that agent is working. So if you called yesterday and talked to Sally and today you're tweeting and Sally's there, Sally will tweet you back. And if you click on the click to chat, you'll get Sally. Absolutely unbelievable and a really amazing way to differentiate service. And what they found is that, um, 
Customers love it because the number one complaint that they have is I hate having to repeat my story over and over again when you transfer me or I, you know, I called and I didn't like the answer. So then I went to chat and I had to re-explain it and then they didn't help me. So I had to go to Twitter and then I had to re-explain it. None of that happened. So I think Telstra is doing a really, really amazing job. Uh, and I expect to see somebody in the United States follow suit on that. Um, if you went to a smaller organization, uh, one of our most recent interviews was with Scotty's Brewhouse. Um, and Scotty's Brewhouse is an upscale sports bar that has 13 locations in currently only in Indiana, although they're expanding outside of Indiana. And Scott Wise, who is the founder and president and CEO, when you ask him what business he's in. He doesn't say I'm in the restaurant business. He says I'm in the business of customer service, which I thought was really fascinating. And when we talked to him a little bit more and kind of pushed on that, he said, and this is a quote, he said, the fact that we listen to people and we respond and we act, that one thing that we do, in my opinion, makes us more successful than almost anything else we do in this restaurant. And so I pushed again and I said, so do you mean that the service is more important than the food. And he said, absolutely, because you can have great food and horrible service and no one's coming back, or you can have good food and great service and run a really, really successful restaurant. So I thought he was fascinating because he runs this small business, but he thinks like a Fortune 500 um, executive. And I even mentioned on the podcast that I think you know, somebody could pluck him out of his current job and throw him in a Fortune 500 company. He'd do very well just because of his perspective. So is this service when you're at the table eating or is this service when you're interacting with people on the web? I'm just curious about that one. It's everything. And the way that he trains his employees is, you know, not just that the customer is always right. That's sort of a old fashioned way of looking at it, but that that his employees are empowered to make a difference in their customers' lives. And yeah, sometimes that is at the table when something's wrong. Um, There have been examples where people have tweeted at the brand while they're at their table. And Scott, because it's a small company, he manages the Twitter handle. He actually calls the restaurant and talks to the manager and gets the problem fixed while the customer is still sitting there, which is amazing. So he really goes across channel and um, makes sure that Every customer is responded to, no matter what channel that they use, um, and that um, and that every customer is appreciated. And, and one of the things that really stuck with me, and he got very emotional when he was telling us this, is that he also makes sure to involve his employees. So when he gets tweets or Facebook posts or emails about a certain employee, he shares it with the employee, and he makes a big point to to copy and paste it into an email and to add his comments. And sometimes, you know, he even gets emails back from the employee's parents because the employee is so happy that, you know, the boss recognized him. They forward it to their parents and their parents forward it to back to Scott and, you know, and say something like, thanks for taking care of my kid. Um, and so he really was um, very, very inspirational. And uh, and you can see his business is growing and he's adding, uh, I think, four more restaurants in the next year. So uh, it's definitely an interesting success story. It's so interesting how the little things make a big difference. I today posted something on my personal profile on Facebook. I was at Wells Fargo, which is who I bank with. And um, as I was pulling my uh, ATM card out of the ATM machine, it said, thank you for 16 years. Um, we appreciate your loyalty. I took a picture of that. I put it on Facebook 
and that's some pre- free press for um for for Wells Fargo <laughs> and the 10,000 friends and stuff that I have on Facebook and it's like you know I just said hey it's the little stuff that counts and I think so many people uh especially marketers forget that this isn't just like numbers, right? <laughs> we look at our fan counts and we look at all these metrics on Google Analytics and such, and we're not remembering that these are humans, you know, lots of them. So I want to explore some tips that you might want to provide, uh, you know, our listeners, whether they're big or small businesses. Um, first and foremost, let's talk about expected response time. You know, on social media, someone has a problem, they send you a Facebook message on your Facebook page or they tweet you or whatever medium it is, you know, talk about, and from your experience, you know, what is a reasonable response time? Well, our mutual friend, Jay Bear, just did some uh, proprietary research with Edison Research, and he came up with the number 39% of all social media complainers expect a response within an hour. And that's more or less what I think I've heard in other studies. The other thing, though, that he came up with that I thought was really interesting was that the average response time of a social media complaint is almost five hours. So businesses as a whole are nowhere near meeting that. Um, I would also say that this starts, before you talk about response time, you have to talk about actually responding. Because most of the studies that I've seen, the number is around 40% of social media complaints are actually addressed at all, right? So that's the first thing is that you have to be able to answer. And, um, and what I always say is you've got to respond to everything, which includes praise, questions, and complaints. Um, because when people tweet at a brand these days or post on their Facebook page, they expect a response. And uh, we can talk about those. We can break those down because there's different benefits to responding to uh, praise versus complaints versus questions. Um, but they're all of benefit to both your customer and to the company. Yeah, let's break it down. Well, I think that, you know, the reason if you talk to companies that are not responding, usually what you hear is they're afraid of complaints. And so we should start with complaints. And I think that that fear is really unfounded. Um Complaints will tell you a lot about what's going on with your business. And if you really look at the substance of the complaint, you're generally going to find that there's something wrong with your product or service. There's always a little truth in there, even if, even if the complainer is super over-the-top aggressive, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, you know, certainly there are customers that we would appreciate you know, maybe being more tactful than they are. But you're right. There's a kernel of truth there. And um, again, Jay sort of refers to it as the canary in the coal mine. It's that early warning system that something's going on that's deeper than just what's happening on social media. You gave an example of a good experience where you um, went to social media. Certainly, you know, brands see all the time that when they have bad experiences, people also take a picture and go to social media as well. Um, So complaints, you definitely have to respond to because, um, number one, people are watching and and it it says a lot when you don't respond to it. Um, But number two is that you can often, by resolving the customer's problem, you can often turn them from being unhappy to happy. And one of my favorite examples that I share all the time from uh, Discover is we had a guy that um, posted on our Facebook page 
because he was saying that he was getting too much mail from us. And, and he posted something somewhat sarcastic that said uh, something to the effect of, I went out of town and I got back and there were three offers for a Discover card in my mailbox, persistence or lack of uh, coordination. And the rep, I thought, responded absolutely perfectly. She started by saying, wow, we must really want you as a customer, uh, which I thought was kind of cute and playful. And then she went right to DM us with, your name and address, and we'll get you off the list. So she solved the problem for the customer or gave, the, you know, gave a way for the customer to self-serve. The customer wrote back and said, wow, I'll bite because I'm so impressed with your service. I'm going to apply for the card. So we started with this guy, and then he hashtagged great service. So we started with a guy who was upset with us because he was getting too much mail, and we turned him into a customer. If you don't respond, there's no chance of doing that. Um, questions I think work the same way. Um, if somebody has a question about your brand, they're not the only person that does. And so by answering it in a public forum, like social media, you're answering it for multiple people, which will save you phone calls, um, which is money, uh, but also provides a service. And frankly, if we're talking marketing speak, useful content, um, for lots of customers rather than just the one person that's asking. And the one I think that brands miss a lot is praise. And that one shocks me because I tweet a lot of brands um, with positive comments. And it is amazing to me how few of them tweet back. When somebody is praising you in public, in social media, for all of their friends and fans and followers to see, in that, there is no bigger gift that a customer can give you. And so to ignore that is, you know, frankly, kind of rude. And so I think that even if it's just a like or you know something like that back, I think that's enough. A, a personalized response is even better. Hey, thanks for being a customer, Mike. We really appreciate your business or um, you know engaging you around whatever it is that you um, that you particularly posted about. Obviously, a retweet is something that is very much appreciated. Um, I had a similar experience to what you uh, talked about with Wells Fargo uh, just recently. I brought my car into um, the BMW dealership, and they have a scanner when you drive into the garage. And the second you drive in, the TV screen changes. There's a TV screen right in front of you, and it says, welcome, and it has your name on it. That's cool. And it was just really cool. So, of course, I stopped, took a picture of it, tweeted about it, um, and they retweeted it. So I think that you know, responding to everything is absolutely key. And then when you get to your original question, which is response time, if the expectation is an hour, I think you have to ask yourself, do we want to meet customer expectation? Do we want to miss it or do we want to exceed it? And I think the great brands want to exceed it. So um, mostly what we see um, interviewing a lot of different brands is that an hour is the far edge. That's the maximum. Um, it's not the expected value. It's, it's about as far as you should go. Um, I think the best companies are aiming at 10 to 15 minutes. Um, I would put the quote-unquote best companies in the airline industry. They have to be fast because of the nature of the, um, of the issues that people have. 
and they're aiming at 10 or 15 minutes. I think smaller businesses, it's totally fine if you're at somewhere between a half an hour and an hour. Um, customers do understand, depending on your business, that you may not be there 24-7. But if you are a brand that has international customers or that does business 24-7 or that has other service channels that are 24-7, you really should be there. Yeah, we have um, we have seven people on our social team, and we do have a guy named Juan who's in Europe, and he covers you know pretty much the night shift, if you will, and he's watching what's going on on Facebook and Twitter. Um, it's hard to um, have that kind of response time when you're a small little company like us in the grand scheme of things, but I think some of the points that you brought up are really important. The fact that um, everybody deserves a response. You know, and I think if we rule out the pre-scheduled tweets, you know, that are buffered and all that kind of stuff, and we look at the true actual interactions, right? Like, hey, I love your product, or hey, I hate your product, or, (laughs) you know, I've got a question about your product. Those deserve a response. Um, I would imagine if it's a relatively big company like Discover, there's a lot of these questions that you're hearing over and over again. And on Twitter, it's kind of hard to get it done in 140 characters do you did you guys have some sort of a like a page with common questions and you could just say um, try to answer it in 140 characters and then say go here for more data so that there was a way to get them more? I mean, did you have kind of these prescripted responses that you maybe couldn't get done in 140 characters and and what and didn't require you to be private? Well, I think you're touching on two things. I don't believe that prescripted responses is a really good idea, but I do think that linking customers to other areas of your website that provide additional information is a fantastic way to respond. Gotcha. So it's really important that brands don't sound robotic and don't sound like they're saying the exact same thing. Um, Because yeah, you are going to get a ton of questions, especially if you've got a press release or you've got a new product coming out um, or there's something in the news, you're going to get the same question a hundred times a day. And one of the challenges um, and, and really one of the things that gets to why social customer service agents need to be trained a little bit differently is that because you are answering publicly, you really do have to get creative with how you answer it, even if it's just changing a word here or there to make sure that if somebody is scrolling through your feed, they're not seeing the exact same response over and over again. Um, So I do think that that's critical. But absolutely, all the things that we do in marketing um, to provide great content for our customers and to um, provide useful content. You should reuse that in social when customers are asking you questions about your business. And so if you've done a blog post on your site about, you know, how to X, Y, Z, and you get a question about that, absolutely. It's a fantastic response to, um, to lead the customer over to that link, which will obviously give them more than 140 characters in response. Do you have any recommended tools that, um, people that are trying to build up a social support team could use to find responses or train people in how to, you know, come up with the right kind of responses and not encouraging them to copy and paste it. I mean, are there any kind of simple resources that uh, are third-party tools that people ought to be thinking about and looking at? Well, I think that smaller companies tend to use uh, very similar tools to what some of us use uh, personally, the the buffers and the hootsuites of the world. I think when you get to be a larger company, you need a little bit more in terms of a 
in terms of the queuing factor, right? So if you've got hundreds or even thousands, and some brands have tens of thousands of comments coming in, you need some ability to queue them and sort them automatically. Um, and so then you get into these platforms like Spark Central or Converse Social, both of which are uh, fantastic platforms that were built exclusively for social customer service. There are also lots of platforms out there um, like Spreadfast and Sprinkler that are really all-in-one platforms that you can use for both publishing and service. And depending on your brand and depending on your goals, it may make sense to have an all-in-one and it may make sense to have um, separate ones for publishing and so these Certainly. tools help you interact with people and make sure they get to resolution, I'm guessing. But what about, do they also have databases in them so you can search for answers? Or is that something else in a different kind of a tool? Yeah, that's probably a different tool. Um, and I'm not as knowledgeable about that. Discover had an internal one um, that we were able to uh, tap into that our phone reps used and our chat reps used. And we would often just edit it a little bit. So... That's cool. We would we would take the same FAQ but turn it into a tweet, for example, to help with the 140 characters thing. What about like language use? I mean, obviously, especially with Twitter, when you're talking about 140 characters and, and, and you know how a single tweet could lead to bad PR if you're not careful, right? So how are there any kind of keywords we should avoid or, or not keywords, but words we should avoid or words we should always include when we're responding to people? Well, when we ask most people what is the most important thing about delivering great customer service, the word that comes up probably more than anything is empathy. And so that's not a specific word. I'm not saying you should use the yeah, word Yeah, but empathy, like I hear you, that kind of stuff, right? Yes. If you can demonstrate empathy in your response, you are generally going to be much more successful. And um, and yeah, that means that, okay, I understand you're frustrated or um, you know, let me help you with that, whatever it is. I think that's really critical. Um Otherwise, you should align to your brand voice in marketing. So generally, the brand team or the marketing team is going to have established some sort of brand voice that you know my, our brand wants to be X, Y, Z. And on the service side, you should try to adhere to that as well because you want to whether whether you have the whether you're working from the same um, handle as the marketing team or whether you have separate handles for marketing and for service, you are still the same brand. And so you want to make sure that the voice of the brand remains the same. And then I think, you know, it's important to write down what your brand wants to be on social and the rules that your brand wants to follow. So some brands say, for example, that they don't want to use abbreviations because it's lazy. Um, so things like PLZ instead of please. Um, some brands are totally fine doing that. Um, some brands want to are, are um, adding imagery to their responses and they're adding whether it's memes or um, screenshots or, maybe or screenshots or whatever it is. Um, and that's that's great. That that usually enhances the response. Of course, it takes up characters as what well. What about video responses? Are you seeing more Vi of that? Video responses, we're seeing some of it. Um, I think one of the more famous ones is uh, Warby Parker does that. Um, and uh, I think there's a guy that actually strums a guitar and sings the response to you, which is really cool. Wow. Um, so that's, you know certainly unique. But other things that I would say are, are fairly consistent is use the name of the person that, um, that you're responding to if you know it. Um, and then there's a lot of debate about whether agents should sign their names or their initials. I personally think it's a really good thing because um, 
it does add this human element to it. Um, very similarly to when you call somebody, when you call whatever it is, your credit card company or your uh, cable company, you know, you are talking to a human being and, and Sally or whoever it is is on the other end of the line. And I think reminding people that there's a human answering them in social as well goes a long way towards gaining their understanding and maybe patience if they're having a problem. I have always um, trained my team to always add their name. Uh, unless there's just no room, like sometimes there's not on Twitter, but then there's like part one of two kind of thing, you know, because uh, I think that's really important. I think the humanize the brand is, is essential. Um, what about when you know you need to take it offline? What do you recommend? How do they do that? I mean, like you're dealing with some customer, whether it's a f- regulated industry or whether it's just an issue that cannot be resolved in 140 characters. What's the suggested path to get someone to go offline? Well, Definitely you want to try to solve it in the channel that the customer started in if it's possible. Um, you know, the worst thing that you can do is immediately respond back to a tweet by saying, please call us at our 1-800 number because the customer probably knows they can call you at the 1-800 number, but they chose to tweet instead. Or what if they and said, call me, I'm waiting for you here. You know, I mean, that might be a better response if that's that would be possible. Yeah. yeah, that'd be a much better response. I think that um, if you can, so the the... The first goal would be to stay in channel. The second goal would be to use some of the, um, I guess, secondary modes within those channels. So going to uh, a direct message, for example, um, is a nice move. We introduced a click-to-chat feature within Facebook and Twitter that made it so that you don't have to leave the channel. So if you... uh, tweeted at us a question and it was about your account and there was no way that we could respond publicly, um, we could put a link on there that would open up a private chat window between you and the agent and the agent could validate your account and answer your question and you've never left Twitter um, during the entire experience, which is which is also really good. Wow. I think that after that, the sort of third best idea is to send them to a different channel, which is um, generally going to be uh, click to chat or email or phone. Um, I do find that a lot of brands go there too quickly. And so when I get a tweet back from a brand that says, hey, can you email us? I think that's a little bit lazy because, again, if I wanted to email you, I would have gone to that channel, right. but I wanted to go to social. So at least give me something right. in social. Um and so, but but there's no question that, especially when you have private information, and it is amazing how much people will share in social media when they shouldn't. You've got to quickly get them off the channel so that you can solve it in another channel. The one thing I would add, though, to that is that a lot of brands want to immediately go offline when it's a complaint. So I would go back to our earlier discussion and say. Don't be afraid to address the complaint in the public channel because that's going to help your image more broadly than just kind of sweeping it under the carpet and pushing it to another channel. And what's really cool about at least you know the new Twitter uh, changes that have happened in the last couple months with the DM having, like I think, unlimited characters, it really is making it a lot easier for Twitter to be a support channel, isn't it? Because you can have really detailed now response uh, with people inside of Twitter you know, and it's just as good as email as far as I'm concerned. I mean, there might be a limit to the characters, but it's definitely not 140 characters. Absolutely. That's a, and that, I think that was great that they expanded that. Um, we had Jeff Lesser on from Twitter whose job at Twitter is to market 
Twitter as a customer service channel, which I thought was really cool. And that was one of the things that they did to make it easier for companies to interact with customers and vice versa. I would say that my advice would be, be sure that you answer something publicly first. So if I tweet at a brand and they DM me back, then the problem is, is that somebody that goes and looks at their feed it looks like they never responded to me. So you still want to have that response in public, even if it says, hey, we've DM'd you so that we can take this offline. But I think DM is great. The only challenge that some regulated industries may have is um, sort of trusting the security of right. Facebook and Twitter. Um, and I'm not, I can't comment on that. I'm not a security guy, but sure. I would say that it's going to be very critical for Facebook and Twitter to make sure that companies are really, really uh, comfortable with the security because if you obviously if somebody hacks into your Facebook or Twitter account, they can look at your DMs and they can see all of that information. And if you've shared account numbers and all that, that's a pretty dangerous situation. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not even sure how it works when you delete a DM. I think it deletes on both sides, doesn't it? Um, at least that's been my history in the past. Like where somebody deletes a DM, it kind of deletes both ends of the uh, conversation. Maybe they've changed that. Hopefully they have. Well, Dan, um, this has been awesome, man. Thank you so much for diving deep and giving us a really good lay of the land on how to better service our customers with social media. Um, if people want to track you or interact with you via social or whatever other channels you've got, where, where do you want to send everyone? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter at dgingis. Um, I use that in a lot of places as well. So if you want to find me on Blab, I am there as well. Um, LinkedIn is also a popular Pardon channel. Um, I'm Updates mostly available. a, you know, Facebook is kind of a personal channel for me, so I don't really um, do that one other than uh, people, friends that I know. Um, but also I would ask them to um, check out the Focus on Customer Service podcast um, where you can hear us interview brands. If you really want to learn and dig deep into the thing, the challenges that brands are having with service and the things that they're doing and, and really highlighting brands that have figured this out across all sorts of industries and sizes, uh, the podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, um, and uh, you can always um, tweet at us as well. Um, we love to know brands that are doing a great job. So if you've had a great experience with a brand in social media and you just had this wow moment, um, I definitely want to hear about it because that's the kind of brand that I want to have on our podcast. Very cool. And everybody, uh, D-G-I-N-G-I-S-S, D-Gingus, is that correct? Did I pronounce that properly? You got it. Awesome. Dan, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your insight. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, I hope you got a lot out of that interview with Dan. Well, if there was anything we mentioned in today's show and you just didn't catch it because you're out and about, don't worry. We take all the notes for you. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 175. That stands for episode 175. Man, can you believe this show has been going for 175 weeks straight? Kind of crazy. Also, hit that subscribe button on your podcast player so you never miss a future episode of this show. If you like the show, would you do me a favor and let your friends know about it? That's the best way for us to get new listeners to the show. And of course, we want new listeners to the show as anybody would. Well, this brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change 
your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.